Right, well, to, this morning I'm really going to speak to us um, a, t- a sermon. I couldn't think of a better title, really, than a Christmas sermon. I, I'm pretty unimaginative, really. But it is a Christmas sermon, which is a good thing, I think, isn't it? Because it's Christmas, and we're doing a sermon. Um, and we're going to speak uh, from Luke 1. You've already heard it read, actually, twice. And um, I don't think we should take any votes as to whether it was the adult or the child that did a better job. But I think my vote would be with the kid. No, I'm joking. They both did a fantastic job. We've heard uh, the reading twice from Luke 1 this morning uh, of the story when the angel comes to Mary. But before we get into that, you know, I just wanted to add my thoughts on what is Christmas. I mean, Christmas, it's an odd thing, really, isn't it? It's a funny time of year. Uh, I mean, when else would I be standing up here with this on my head, preaching to you? I mean, what is this? You know, why is it white here? Why is there a bauble on the end and all this? I mean, really, where does it come from? Uh, what's all this business about a tree in a house, for goodness sake? And uh, all this stuff. But it's a fun time of year. It's a happy time of year. It's a time of light, really, in the midst of the darkness of winter. You know, we, we've almost forgotten what the sun is like. A friend of mine um, came over from America and uh, for a few days um, to celebrate their Thanksgiving over here. I think he wanted to get out of the country for some reason at Thanksgiving. And uh, he, he asked me the question, he said, Adrian, um, do you ever see the sun in this country? Because it had been grey the whole time he was here. But we do see the sun, but it seems like a distant memory. And, and so we set up lights. It's a time when lots of food is eaten. Uh, it's a time when family comes together, and it's a time when gifts are given. But you know, it can be a very hard time for some people at Christmas, uh, especially if relationships with the family are difficult, which they often are. Uh, let's be honest, I doubt very many families in this room have got no problems, and if they have, I'll come and join you for Christmas instead of mine. We've all got problems with our families at some, in some way or another, uh, but families are the, the people that accept us uh, warts and all, hopefully. That's the idea, anyway. The ones who are with us at all times. So for some people, you know, they really do struggle with their families at Christmas. Uh, and for some people, they really do struggle. I think particularly, it, it can't be a very easy time for single parents, actually. And so it's really interesting, because so many people today, you know, they kind of almost demonise single mums, but don't they? And yet, you know, the parent who chose to stay is probably not the one that we should be cross with, you know. That's the the mum who chose to stay and the mum who chose not to abort their child as well. But everyone assumes that everyone else's families are perfect. They're not. And so it's quite interesting, really. I mean, we don't get to choose our families, but we do accept our families, I trust, as they are. And we show love to each other, particularly at Christmas time. And and it's interesting, given what I just said about single mums, that actually uh, Christmas, the very centre of Christmas story, is about an unmarried pregnant teenager. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way. Uh, We tend to read back into the story and think it was all lovely and wonderful, but imagine what it must have been like in that day and age where you could still get stoned for adultery. I could tell you a cheesy joke and say that these days we tend to commit adultery after people have got stoned rather than before, but but I wouldn't tell you that because that's not funny really. Um... (laughs) Oh dear, oh dear, I'm going to get into trouble. Um, But the interesting thing is, at that time, it's remarkable in a way that she escaped with her life, actually. And if it wasn't for her uh, husband-to-be, Joseph, I mean, they were engaged to be married, and suddenly she turns up pregnant. Uh, If it wasn't for him, then I'm sure uh, it wouldn't have ended well for her. 
And so what do we see in this passage that we've looked at before us, that we were looking at before us? Well, the first thing we see is that actually the favour of God comes. It says to Mary, the angel says to Mary, favour has come on you. And favour is very much about Christmas. Christmas is not about people earning the right to their presence, you know. Uh, It's really not. It's a gracious thing. And God loves to come to individuals to bless them. And it doesn't feel very fair sometimes. Why Mary? I don't, I don't know what you think about Mary. I'm sure she was a godly girl. But actually there were probably thousands of godly girls in Israel. And uh, God came to her. And really, if there's anything of honour in Mary, it's in her response. And we'll see a bit more about that in a moment. But it's the favour of God that came to her. The mercy of God, the grace of God, the undeserved grace of God. And that's what Christmas is all about. That God comes to us. And God has always come to individuals to bless them. But he does so in order that we might be a blessing to other people. And the Christmas story shows us that in order to deliver the world, he didn't come with an um, an army of angels and invade the world. Have you thought about that? I mean, we might have thought that that would be the way he would come. He'd come on, on chariots, you know, with, with gold and with fire and with hailstones and lots of angels looking really beef and tough. Maybe a bit of ninja angels. Some of us have been watching ninja angels on the Bible series. But actually, none of that happened. God came to one person, a teenager at that, A young lady at that who wouldn't have had much power in those days. And because of her response to God, we are all saved and sitting here today. So we should honour Mary. I think sometimes uh, we we don't honour her enough, actually. Uh, We should call her blessed. She was blessed of God. She was honoured of God. She was favoured by God. But the real critical thing is her response to God. Our response to God, her response to God and our response to God, really they should mirror each other actually. And maybe you're sitting here uh, this morning and, and you haven't really thought about God very much. But I would encourage you to think again about the Christmas story and to respond to the Christmas story. And it's interesting that her response I think goes through three phases. And the first phase we see, it says that she was greatly troubled. I mean an angel's rocked up. And has called her highly favoured. He hasn't got to the next bit yet. I mean, he's got a bit of a surprise coming for her. I mean, we've all had surprise kids. Or some of us have. I certainly have had one surprise kid. But, but, but for her, it's really not what she's expecting. But notice it's not that that makes her greatly troubled. It's before that even. It's the very fact that God is there. Or the angel is there. And is dramatically peering to her. She's like, well, I thought that stopped a long time ago. I thought God had finished with all of that. It's been hundreds of years since anything dramatic has happened like that. And now there's an angel here. And he's come to me. And he's saying that I, me, I am favoured. And she's like, I'm greatly troubled by that. I don't get that. I'm amazed. I'm perplexed. I'm surprised. And for some people, when they first begin to encounter God, it can be a bit like that. Maybe they've grown up as an atheist. Maybe they've grown up in a home where people don't really talk about God. And all of a sudden, they encounter a group of people like are in this room who clearly actually believe in this God. And they're perplexed. And they're troubled. 
And, and Mary was troubled, I think, in part because of her humility. She's like, why me? Why would God pick me? And I love that about Mary, because so often today, we, we say, why me, in a different way, don't we? We say, why me? Why has this happened to me, God? But Mary's more like, why me? You know, not why me, why has all this awful stuff happened, but why me? Why has something good happened? Why has this angel come to me? I think she was humble. I think she knew she wasn't perfect. I think she knew she wasn't particularly special. And I think she knew that God had somehow selected her for some reason best known only to God. And today, sometimes we feel that God couldn't love us because of the things that we've done wrong. But let me tell you, God loved her and God loves you. And God delights to take initiative in our lives in this way. And the next phase of her response to God is very simple. She asked questions. And I love that. The angel doesn't condemn her for that. She just says, well, how, how, how is this going to be? Notice how she puts it. She doesn't say, I don't believe it. She just says, how will this happen? And it's legitimate to ask questions. Perhaps you've got lots of questions. Perhaps today you're thinking, well, do you guys really believe this? Well, yes, we do. Do you really believe that a virgin conceived and had a baby? Yes, we do. How is that possible, as Mary herself asked? Do you believe that her son grew up and, and did all these healings and became the greatest teacher the world had ever known? Yes, I do. Do you believe that he died on a cross? Yes, we do. And do you believe that he rose again from the dead? Yes, we do. And, and maybe most of all you're asking this, what on earth has that got to do with us today? And how is it that 2,000 years later, more than 2 billion people in the world claim to follow Jesus? And claim to know him. And even secular historians admit that Jesus was the single most influential figure in world history. And I would suggest to you that if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, here's a good one. Discover a bit more about this man. Who is this man? Who was he? What should I make of him? Jesus once asked his disciples... Who do people say that I am? And then he asks them this, and who do you say that I am? And there's never a more important question than that. And it's a legitimate question to ask. And we'd love you to explore those kind of questions with us. You know, you don't have to be a Christian already to come here every week, just so you know. You're very welcome to keep coming back and to explore these things. And I'm sure at some point in the new year as well, we'll probably run an alpha course. And that'll be a great way to get some of those questions answered but for Mary she didn't stop at either the tr being greatly troubled she didn't stop at the questioning phase she took the next phase and maybe for some of us here this morning we're ready to take that next phase and her next phase is really simple she put her trust in God and decided to follow him that brothers and sisters is how people become Christians we simply put our trust in God and decide to follow him. And I love this phrase. It's a beautiful phrase. It's perhaps one of the most beautiful phrases in the Bible when you consider what she was actually saying. You know, it's so easy for us to just be blasé about this. But what she was actually agreeing to was to be a surrogate mother for God himself. 
I mean, that's a phenomenal thing to do. It's not easy being a surrogate mother, and especially not as an unmarried teenager. And don't forget, at that point, she had no idea how Joseph would respond or how her neighbours and relatives would respond. But she said, nonetheless, let it be to me according to your will. And brothers and sisters, that is the core of the Christian faith. That is the core of our response to Jesus. Let it be to me according to your will. See, many people resist God, and it's pretty futile, really. It's about as futile as banging your head against a brick wall. You won't really get very far. You'll only hurt yourself that way. And God would say to you this morning, look, by all means, carry on and resist me, but why not just give in? Give in to my love. He's knocking at the door of your heart, if you like. He's asking you to surrender to him. He's asking you just to follow him. And his way for your life is best. So many people think that becoming a Christian means giving up all kinds of good things. But the reality is this. Life with Jesus is much better. And there are many people in this room that could talk about that. They could talk about maybe a youth where they did all sorts of things that they thought were good fun at the time, but actually left them hurting, left them damaged, left them destroyed, left them feeling just full of guilt, full of what have I done? Life with Jesus. Oh, it's not always easy. It's not always perfect. And don't get any idea about the fact that if you come to Jesus, all your problems will disappear. For some people, when they come to Jesus, all their problems just begin. I mean, look at Mary. It was not going to be easy for her. And it wouldn't end easy for her either. She would have to go through all of that pregnancy. Uh, she would have to um, go through all of that experience. And then she'd have to watch her own child die on a cross in great anguish and pain. That's never easy for a mother. But she chose to follow him. And it was a delight for her to follow Jesus. And trust me, it'll be a delight for you if you choose to follow Jesus too. What are the response of God to all of this? What was the response of God to her response to him or to the angel? Well, the response of God was simply this. Firstly, the miraculous gets released. And so we see that. A miracle happens. And I want to tell you that happens today. You see... From the moment Jesus was conceived, he was a miracle. He went around doing miracles, and then he rose again as the greatest miracle of all time, really. And he did it all for you and for me. And still today, God is at work in incredible ways in his world. Things that you think could never be fixed are easy to him to solve. Maybe there are things you're looking for. I know there are things that I'm looking for that you would like God to do for you. And if your desires line up with his desires, then he does say he will give you the desires of your heart. And I want to encourage you to dare to believe that God can change things in your life and that the miraculous can happen. He does it his way and he does it in his time. And we can't force his hand and we shouldn't try and twist his arm. But we should expect him to act. Amen. And I love the phrase that the angel uses here. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, after this account that we heard read before, there she is. She goes to her auntie Elizabeth. And uh, auntie Elizabeth is also pregnant. An old lady who shouldn't 
be able to get pregnant, but she's pregnant. And it says that she actually stays there for three months. And given that Mary was, uh, sorry, Elizabeth was six months pregnant at the beginning, it seems as though Mary was there for the birth of John the Baptist, which is interesting. It looks that way anyway. But when she gets there, what we see actually is a couple of other, um, how can I put it? A couple of other results, really, of the response to God of our response to him. And the first one we see in, in, in Mary as well, it talks about the fullness of the Spirit. It says that the Spirit will come upon her, will be in her. But the same thing is said of Elizabeth. It says that the Spirit was in Elizabeth and welled up within her. And that is really about God dwelling in us. And that's a wonderful thing, that God, through the Spirit, desires to dwell in you. He desires to know you, to have a relationship with you. You will have heard, no doubt, the name of Jesus, or one of the many names of Jesus, is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, he hasn't gone away. He hasn't left us an orphan. He promised that he would not leave us as orphans. He has promised that he will dwell in us, and he will be with us, and that wherever two or three of us are gathered together, In the very midst of us, he is there, and he's here this morning, he's here in all our meetings, and he's here in your homes, and he's here in your hearts, he's here in your small groups, and through the Spirit, he comes and dwells among us and makes us his home. That's a wonderful thing. That's the response of God to our response to him. But notice also, great joy comes on Elizabeth. And even Mary, later on, as she starts her song, she says, my soul rejoices in God. And joy is one of the main things that God wants to give to you when you become a Christian. Now, it's not a cheesy grin. Some of us know Christians who just walk around like this. How are you doing? I'm praising the Lord. How's it going? Yes, I lost my job, but I'm praising the Lord. How's your health? Well, actually, funny you should mention that. Um, I went to the hospital this week, but I'm praising God. It's fine. It's not that kind of fake joy. It's a real joy. A joy that at times knows great pain. And where the Bible talks about it, it says that we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And, And I know that there are people in this room who've experienced great sorrow as a Christian. Great suffering as a Christian. And that doesn't invalidate your faith. But somewhere in amongst all of that sorrow, there is a joy, there is a peace, and there is a hope. So one of my favourite verses in the, in the Bible when it comes to this kind of subject says this, that we should not grieve in the same way as others who have no hope. We have a hope. And so for some of you who face Christmas without a loved one, it can be a difficult time of year, and I don't want to minimise that, but somehow in the midst of it all, it's okay to be happy. Sometimes we feel guilty about being happy when we're in that situation. It's okay to be happy, but it's also okay to grieve. And you might find on Christmas Day, in the morning you're crying, and in the afternoon you're laughing, and that's quite all right with God. But know this, there's a joy in us, and there's a hope in us, because of what God is doing. It sustains us in the trials. It's a spark of light that changes everything because when you have a spark of light, it's no longer dark, amen? Amen. You only need a tiny candle. So it may only be a little glimmer of faith and you're kind of holding on to faith as everything around you seems to be against you, as things seem to be troubling you, as, as wave after wave of sorrow comes upon you sometimes, yet there's this little glimmer of hope in you. And yes, you well it into flame, but God will never let that die out. Amen. 
And then, of course, the, I mean, the angels said it later, didn't they? Peace on earth. That is one of the results of Christmas. We want to see peace. Let's pray for peace. Peace in our world. Peace in our church. Peace in our workplaces. Peace in our homes. And peace in our families. Pray for me as I pray for you that God's peace will rest on you this Christmas. And then finally, there's a mercy that comes. This very same mercy that came to Mary gets to spread. And that's one of the most wonderful things. And so at Christmas time, we're to remember the poor. And it talks in Mary's song about God satisfying the poor with good things. At Christmas time, look around you on your street. Make sure that people, your neighbours, your friends are okay. And that mercy is being extended. And we can expect mercy to spread and spread and spread. And for 2,000 years, Jesus, through his body on earth, has been a great force of peace and of good. And he wants to do good in your life this Christmas. As you give your gifts this Christmas, remember the one who gave the greatest gift himself. It came at great cost to him, the cost of his life. But he offers it freely as a gift that you must simply unwrap. Amen.